Hey there, welcome to America on Tap, a weekly podcast discussing the issues affecting my generation, your generation, and our neighbor's generation, all while enjoying a cold beer. Amigas, amigos. Este es un día histórico y será una noche memorable. Una mayoría importante de ciudadanos ha decidido iniciar la cuarta transformación de la vida pública de México. That was Andrés Manuel López Obrador, or as he's widely known as, AMLO, accepting the election results that made him Mexico's new president. In his speech, AMLO spoke of an incoming transformation, supported by a great majority of Mexicans. For many, this sounds like a dream come true, and for others, it sounds like a nightmare. You'll see why both may be true. Welcome back to the show. This is your host, Juan. There are plenty of reasons for folks to care about what happens in Mexico. Chief among them, perhaps, is that choices made in Mexico impact Americans in many ways, particularly economically. On this episode, we'll take a look at exactly what happened in the Mexican elections, the immediate aftermath of said elections, and what the future holds for America's southern neighbor. To do so, I invited my friends Aline, Alan, and Carmen, all from different parts of Mexico and different ideology, to discuss. Let's get into it. Welcome to the show, everyone. Let's get things started today by telling us who each of you are, where you live, and what part of Mexico you're from. And lastly, of course, what you're drinking tonight. I'm Carmen. I'm from Merida, Yucatan. And I'm currently living in Missouri and going to university at Drury University, where I'm a senior studying political science. And right now I'm drinking a beer called Mex E. Cali. Uh, oh, nice. Separate. Yeah, it's from Springfield Brewing Company. Oh, great. Awesome. Yeah. Alan, what about you? Hi, everyone. My name is Alan. I live in a northern city in Mexico called Monterey. And I'm actually drinking a 2X Lager, a really cold one. So... Oh, great. After a long day at work, that's like the best beer you can have. Yeah, and a long day of really warm weather. <laughs> great. Aline? Hi, I'm Aline. I live in Mexico City, though in two weeks I'll be going to New York, the concrete jungle. And I'm currently drinking uh, my favorite Mexican beer, which is a Bohemia Clara. Damn, all you have tremendous beers, and as usual, here I come with a Sam Adams summer ale, but... Great. <laughs> at least my at least my guests have a good tasting beer. I, I can take it back. I love some animals, but whatever. So that's let's why you get, choose it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. So let's get the conversation started. And um, as I explained in my intro, we're going to be talking about Mexico's election. And interestingly, so you all hail from different parts of Mexico and have quite different experiences and ideologies, which is why I'm going to start things off by asking each of you to give me a brief, you know, one to two sentence summary of what happened in Mexico's recent election. Okay, so um, this was a historic election. Uh, Sunday, July the 1st, uh, Andres Manuel had an overwhelming victory where he won practically every federal entity in the country except for one, that it's Guanajuato. 
He won with 53.1% of Mexican votes. And well, this caused for the other main opponents to recognize the Andres Manuel's victory early in the evening. So I have to say it's just a historic, historic event that hadn't happened in Mexico since 1988. Okay, so a pretty monumental um, moment in Mexican history. Ali, what about you? Can you summarize Mexico's recent election in one or two sentences? Right, and I think um, it's monumental not only because of the you know winning landslide, but because we have to remember that in Mexico, the governing party for 70-something years has been the PRI, which is the centrist Pride party, even though there was a break of 12 years uh, when the PAN governed. But um, for the first time in, in so many years, the PRI ended up actually in third place, where they actually had a very well-prepared candidate who had been a mm -hmm. minister of... Um, five dependencies and who studied a PhD in Yale and whatever, but you know nothing, nothing of the sort was enough to to beat Amlo's overwhelming victory, as Alan said. Okay, uh, Carmen, you want to wrap us off here? Yeah, I was actually going to say something similar to what Aline said. I think it um, goes back to the um, establishment parties, and if I was to put it in one or two sentences, I would say that it was an unprecedented sorry, unprecedented defeat of the establishment of the PRI and PAN. Okay, so it sounds like not only was AMLO's victory in itself incredible because of who he is, but it also was because of the defeat of the other parties that usually come out on top of electoral processes. Absolutely. So from what everyone is saying, it sounds like the supreme winner of this electoral contest was without a doubt Angus Manuel López Obrador. And not only him, but his political organization, Morena, which is Alan pointed out, like got a huge chunk of regional and legislative victories all across Mexico. Can each of you talk to me a little bit about who is Andrés Manuel López Obrador and what is he all about? Yeah, so AMLO is a candidate from Tabasco, who, which is a very, very poor state in Mexico. He is from a working class family. He went to public university, which in Mexico a lot of times equals like not being of wealth, basically. Mm -hmm. um, he early in his life got himself involved in politics. So he has been around for a while, like what, 20, 30 years. Right, yeah. um, he is a candidate that had run twice before and lost both, both times. Um, the first time he lost, obviously, it's very contested. Second time he lost a little less. Um, and who, someone who in his third run um, won the presidency and won the presidency mm. with very um, different overwhelming ideals. Force. Yeah, overwhelming force and very different ideals than um, a lot of people, you know, most candidates that had run for the Mexican, Mexican presidency. So it sounds like he definitely came from, not only did he have a different ideology, but he came from a different background than most politicians in Mexico. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Aline, what do you think on this? What, who is Andrés Manuel López Obrador and what is he all about? Well, as Carmen said, he, AMLO is not, um, he's not new in the political scene, but um, he's a very complex character because, to me, he's a political marketing genius who has expertly, who expertly knew how to capitalize public frustration towards the governing party, towards certain situations we are living in Mexico, like corruption and violence levels and and other things around, but he's also someone who 12 years ago when he lost discredited our national mm -hmm. electoral system for, uh, you know, blaming the fact that he actually had won. He was a legitimate president, mm -hmm. even when the numbers mm -hmm. said the other, the other way. And today the same electoral system gave him 
you know, an undeniable victory. So he does seem um, like much, much more mature than when he started. And he seems like he's in a very moderate state right now. But of course, he will take power until December 1st. So we have to see, you know, what his whole fourth transformation and his whole transition right. is about. What he's preaching. Alan, anything to add here? Who is Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador to you? Well, I have to add that, well, Andres Manuel is a very charismatic leader, a populist one. Also, many may, may say that he's the last Mexican caudillo. That, that basically means that he has a lot of, of social, social power. He moves a lot of masses, especially around the poor people. And that also means that he has very marked authoritarian features. He doesn't allow criticism or he doesn't tolerate it. And well, undoubtedly, he's a genuine um, social, social person that, that focuses on the poor and has a really social vocation and concern for the poor. But I have to remark that he has uh, really, really strong authoritarian feature, features that may worry a lot of, of Mexicans. What makes him an authoritarian leader? Well, basically that, that he doesn't allow criticism, any other point of view from any of the, of the opposition leaders. Also, he says that he's, uh, he's always right. And mm -hmm. if people say he is wrong, he says that they are only trying to discredit him because the establishment mm -hmm. wants to retain power. And that's mm -hmm. basically the whole rhetoric here. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Um, so now that we've kind of introduced Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, we kind of summarize the election. Let's take a quick break and we'll be back shortly with what the future holds for Mexico. Back for more, I've been talking to my friends Alan, Aline, and Carmen, uh, all from different parts of Mexico, and they've been sharing their opinion on what just happened in Mexico's historic election that saw Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, who has run for president two previous times, finally clinch the presidency of Mexico. So as we've been talking, Morena, which is AMLO's political organization, won a majority of seats in both of Mexico's legislative chambers, and as Alan said, many governorships across the nation. What is AMLO intending to do with this unprecedented power? And Aline, let's start with you here and then go to Alan and finish off with Carmen. Well, so Morena won the majority of the seats in the Chamber of Deputies and in Congress, and uh, AMLO has not given any really public statement that he's going to be able, you know, he's going to do what he wants, but he's able to do what he wants. Um, I think that uh, he is going to push forward his own agenda, basically in public spending. He wants to lower the income of public servants and even the president. He wants to decentralize public institutions. He wants to push back on the education reform. And basically, I think uh, he's going to have a very easy task on his hands if he wants to, you know, legislate his own policy issues. So basically what, what you're saying here is that he hasn't necessarily made it clear that he's going to be an authoritarian, but he has the legal authority to be one. Yeah, I mean, he, he doesn't have much to gain right now except for backlash right now. Uh, he yeah. actually appointed a very old um, person from the PRI, from the governing party, Manuel Bartlett, mm -hmm. to run the electrical system in Mexico. And mm -hmm. that has given him uh, so much backlash and criticism. So mm. he can't, you know, right now it's all talks. So I don't think that's right. good for him to we'll actually to announce anything. Right. Yeah. Alan, what do you think here? What is AMLO going to do with his huge success? As I told you, 
before. It's the first time since 1988 that a Mexican president gained more than 50% of the Mexican vote, which gives Andres Manuel incredible political power. Um, so basically, he can do whatever, whatever he wants because he's going to basically control both of the of Congress chambers. So that, that also worries a lot of people because even though we have uh, a lot of institutions, he can discredit them and with the political power um, silence other voices that could go against him. One of the points, especially that Andres Manuel during his campaign talked uh, a lot about was the loving republic, that he wants to create mm -hmm. a loving republic that it permits basically a utopia where he talks about peace and love constantly. But that, for me, sounds a little bit weird or <laughs> complicated than when we're talking politics. I would rather prefer to listen more Andres Manuel talking about uh, tolerance and respect, but, mm -hmm. but he, doesn't, um, he doesn't say those things, because, basically because he's an authoritarian and he doesn't accept criticism and there's no tolerance uh, given from him. Mm, interesting. Carmen, any, any uh, response to this or any comments on your own of what AMLO intends to do with, with his unprecedented power? Yeah, well, I kind of agree with what you say about his like um, rhetoric of love and whatnot being a little weird. I mean, I agree with that. I think it was um, totally like, a, you know, uh, an attempt at a campaign strategy um, to, you know, get some people um, thinking that that's what he wants. But I mean... That's obviously not uh, not something for me that you should run a campaign, a political campaign on. However, um, I think that it's just, I mean, it'll, it'll have to be a matter of, you know, wait and see what he does with this power mm -hmm. that he has in Congress and what he actually goes through with and what he doesn't and whether he, you know, abuses this power or not. Um, it's a little early to call, in okay. my opinion, and to say, you know, authoritarian or not, because he hasn't actually done anything. I think we should keep an eye out for the amount of power that he has. But, you know, up till now for me is, well, we'll see what Morena is going to do. So, you know, when talking about this, I can't help but compare President-elect AMLO to President Trump in the way that they both came to power with a pledge to clean out corruption. And in the United States... President Trump has called this drain the swamp. I'm sure AMLO has his own rhetoric to identify corruption in Mexico. But my question is twofold here. So first part is, is corruption Mexico's biggest issue? And second, how confident are you that AMLO will be the person that can so-called drain the swamp? And let's start here with Aline, and then we'll go to Carmen and then finish off with Alan. I mean, I think it's a very complex question because, you know, depends for who and depends where you're standing. I don't think corruption is the the most important issue. I think it's in the top three, but I think that most and of an issue, it's a factor in itself that hinders other pressing issues like education, mm -hmm. like levels of violence and social injustices that we have in the country. Um, I'm not confident that he will be able to fight corruption, not because, not really because I feel like he's not capable, but his rhetoric of corruption is the mafia, you know, the power of the mafia. And he hasn't really given a clear path on how he's actually going to do this. You know, well, he, said, he said he wants to do it, but we don't know how. We don't know how. I mean, fighting corruption mm -hmm. was his whole motto, and that's the way he navigated basically his whole campaign. But um, I think he really underestimates um, 
the rooted issues of corruption we have mm-hmm. not only in Mexico but in you know the world in Latin America. Yeah, Latin America has a chronic corruption problem. That's for sure. Yeah, Carmen, what do you think here? You know, I think I agree with Aline. Corruption is definitely top three. Um, however, I think Mexico's biggest problem is violence. Mm. Um, obviously tied to corruption. Um, but I would definitely place violence first before corruption there. Um, as for your second question, um, you know, I, this, the corruption issue with Amlo is probably the issue that I'm least confident with okay. him about, uh, because I, you know, I think that he is not as clean slate as he paints himself to be, um, However, I place my hopes on other issues that he's wanting to tackle. Um, and I do think that he, it'll at least be a move in, a step in the right direction regarding corruption. Mm-hmm. Um, although obviously not like gonna solve the problem. Yeah, himself. like his, his election won't eliminate the creature of corruption, but it'll maybe mitigate some of it. It'll exactly. start fixing it. Mm-hmm. Alan, any, any last thoughts on the issue of corruption and whether I'm looking to deliver on his promises? Yeah, I have to agree with Carmen that it's definitely in the top three. Nonetheless, I think it's a very important uh, topic for the Mexican people because especially during Peña's administration, a lot of cases of corruption in government came through and people are really, really uh, angry and desperate because they see all these politicians earning a lot of money that are basically ours to spend on, mm-hmm. on yeah. society. And, well, people are, are tired of this. So I think that's why Andres Manuel uh, ran a campaign very focused on corruption. But he never set a plan. He, I, right. I don't think he has a plan, actually. He always said that he's going to, to solve the problem of corruption as you clean the stairs. You clean the stairs from the top to the bottom. But I think that's a very simplistic um, thing to say or a plan to establish because corruption is something more complex. And, well, I, I, I really have my doubts that he's going to be able to, to solve this corruption problem he, because he basically has a lot of, of uh, politicians that have in, in, his, in, his, in his group or as his advisors in the cabinet and everything that have also really uh, been like pointed out corruption cases. So that also brings he, him a little bit of of credibility in this subject, right? As right, yeah. said, so maybe he will solve other Mexican problems, but definitely corruption. I don't think is one of them. Right. Yeah. He's he's all talk so far. We will have to see December first when he gets into office if he can deliver on these promises. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's take a quick short break, and then we'll continue talking about Mexico's election and what's uh, coming for America's southern neighbor. So back for our last segment, we've been talking to three of my good Mexican friends, Aline, Alan, and Carmen, about their opinion about what just happened in Mexico. Um, They just elected someone who had been in the political sphere for quite a while, but whose election, nevertheless, was quite a surprise, even though it was widely expected. And so to get into that, what, what, you know, let's say six months from now, eight months from now, how do we measure whether President AMLO is successful in what he's trying to do? Like, what is a barometer of success for him that you guys will judge? And let's start here with Carmen and then go to Aline and Alan. Okay, well, you know, 
Uh, I think six months from now would definitely be too soon. But, you know, say we talk about this in a couple years. Yeah. Um, I think for me, it's not exactly a barometer, but something that would tell me that he's like doing progress and like making progress and what he said he would is one, raise a minimum wage. Okay. I think that is something that is desperately needed in Mexico. Another more measurable, um, I guess your minimum wage is measurable, but you know, some things you can't really measure really well until the end of the term, which is six years. So in a couple of years, I think we should look at maybe the violence numbers in Mexico. I think if that's something that's decreased, um, that would definitely be a win for him. Um, so yeah, those def two things would definitely be the ones I would look at. That you would look at. Okay, good. Aline, what about you? What, how do you measure AMLO's success? I mean, I, I totally agree with Carmen. I think he must be held accountable of his promises, especially because they are so, you know, over the top and in a way eccentric. Uh, I would choose two. One is, first of all, corruption levels. You know, let's measure where where we are in terms of corruption in a couple of years. I think corruption should be measured in terms of, I don't know, um, whether there are any other corruption scandals, whether, you know, how easy it is to maybe do business here or the government. Mm -hmm. And... Um, The second one would be this whole idea of decentralizing public institutions. I read an article that it would actually take six years to complete mm -hmm. the whole Even thing. To me, it's uh, the, the most intriguing of his promises. I don't think that it's something that he'll be able to do, but anyway, he promised. So I think that um, you could actually uh, measure his success, whether the fact if this works or if it doesn't work. Based on that, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Alan, what, how do you measure AMLO's success or how will you measure AMLO's success? I have here to disagree with Carmen and Aline. I think that some of Andres Manuel's uh, promises um, shouldn't be like, like taken to reality. Or if they are going to be taken to reality, they have to be like really well planned and with a strategy behind because he promised a lot. And if they are badly executed, they could bring a lot of damage to the Mexican economy, um, especially the raising the minimum wage uh, without a strategy and a specific plan. Mm -hmm. Also, I would say that the barometer would be the economic growth, that basically not 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 increasing a lot that, but having no stagnation, uh, that the Mexican economy is not slowing down. That would be one. And the other one is the existence of, of criticism, that we have mm -hmm. uh, people in the media or other strong leaders or the opposition actually criticizing the actions of the president and him... Andres Manuel receiving that criticism. Right, and allowing uh, it. Yeah, and allowing that criticism and not, not silencing the opposition. Right, right. I mean, I think we'll have to definitely chat again in a year and see how this is all going. Oh, yeah. So definitely. let's have let's close things off with my final question. Can each of you share what does the future hold for Mexico in one word? And let's start here with Alan and then we'll go to Alina and finish with Carmen. Well, I have to say uh, uncertainty. Because we right now have seen one Andres Manuel in, in one election run. We have seen another Andres Manuel in this election run. So we, know, we don't know which one is going to be or what are the things that he's going to do. For me, they say that a new Mexico has emerged. I only have that it's only about time and the actions of the new government that will say this change is really for good. And, well, let's hope for the best. For the best, yeah the Mexican president and yeah. Aline, how about you? My word would be skepticism. 
I think we cannot mm -hmm. buy what what he sells. We have as citizens have to be very critical and um, and be very informed about his public policies, and we have to be on top of him and you know just right be, as good citizens are. Yeah. yeah, Carmen, your word. Yeah, while I agree with um, the need to be you know uh, on the watch out and to be skept uh, skeptic about his promises and about his policies and about what he's doing. I think the word I would choose is opportunity. I think this is a new chance. This is a, something different, something that the Mexican population uh, wanted, wants yeah. and needs, yeah. you know, something that just is not the same of the same two parties right. of the right. same two corrupt political parties who have been in power and stayed in power with, you know, very, uh, Un uncertain measures and uh, not uh, measures, but very uncertain ways of staying in power. Right. I think it, it's, I mean, you guys said it at the beginning, but I think it's just too early to tell at this point, maybe to measure harshly. But I think both of your, well, the, the three of your responses, skepticism, um, which are somewhat similar and opportunity can be sometimes mixed together, right? Like let's be, let's be hopeful about the future, but let's make sure we can hold him accountable when need be. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, well, thanks to the three of you for joining me on this episode of America on Tap. I think the Mexican elections were a huge issue that were not discussed enough. So I want to thank you for jumping in with your opinions. Thank, no, thank you, you for having me. I'm glad the American public is becoming more, much more immersed in this topic because yeah. it will affect us, but it will affect you Same. too. Exactly. Definitely. Well, thanks, everyone. That's it for this episode of America on Tap. Thank you, Juan. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode of America on Tap, make sure you leave me a review on your podcast app of choice. Tell your friends about it and tune in next time. Cheers to having a conversation that doesn't end in an angry Twitter rant.